Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap for January 20th. Hope you're doing well. Halfway through the week, halfway to the NFC Championship game. I know you are already, as I think I said yesterday or two days ago, you can just fast forward to Sunday and we'll be good. We're going to talk about that, breaking down the best and worst case scenarios for all sides of the ball, um, the game itself, offense, defense, and special teams in some order. I think the game actually will be last, but whatever. We're going to also do the national media Murph report. Going to be a little more serious uh, than usual. We'll talk a little Jared Porter. We'll talk Eric Bieniemy, Kyrie Irving on deck and that. And then lastly, we will do Ticket Story Time, a new segment I'm fired up for, and we'll explain what that means later in the show. That's called a tease in the business. But let's start with the NFC Championship game. We are at Wednesday, and I feel like, I don't know if everyone feels like they're at their limit of like, all right, dude, we get it. Like, we get the top players. We get the we get who are going to be the X factors. We get things that we might not have thought about. Like, everything is on the table. It's kind of like Jason Biggs in American Pie. Like, everybody has come their pants. Like, everyone has come in their pants right now. And you got to, like, fire it up and try to get going because you have a naked foreign student in your room and that naked foreign student is the end of this week. But (laughs) I still think there are going to be topics. I still think people are going to find stuff. People hope that someone says something dumb when they meet the media and they give motivation. And then it's like, okay, now we have like two days of stories. Bruce Arians and Matt LaFleur are smart coaches. I'm sure they've instructed their players like, hey, don't say anything dumb. Keep it to yourself. Like if you have a thought, don't put it out there because people will latch on. People are looking for any new storyline. If that new storyline develops, you're there. I really think the biggest storyline of the week is not necessarily Brady Rogers. It's can Mahomes play on Sunday. Colin Coward, we could add to the National Media Murph Report and talk about the fact that uh, he thought that they should postpone the game until Mahomes was healthy. And look, I've heard Colin on a couple podcasts. I really respect what he has put together. But like, you just can't believe that shit, right? Like, you, you can't actually believe that that's a reality. I understand that Mahomes versus Allen is a much better game. But look, injuries fucking happen you can't like you can't just say all right we're gonna wait till he clears protocol and then we'll play like come on guys like that's we can't do that we did that's just so stupid um and like i said i don't think howard believes it i think it was just he knows there are certain things that can tip or trip people's triggers i know i've heard Rosillo say he believes everything he says I don't know. That one's tough. That was tough for him. I, I guess I get like him wanting a great game, but it's part of football, man. It's part of what happens. I I thought about grabbing the Bills money line just to have it, just in case Mahomes wasn't going to play. Um, but I decided against it, and we'll see. I I think he's going to play. I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. But yeah, that that is a bigger storyline than anything Packers Buccaneers. But to get back to that, the Packers and Buccaneers, this game could go in a hundred different ways, just like any NFL game. This is not a mismatch by any means. This isn't like, 
Green Bay is playing the Washington football team or the Chicago Bears for the right to get to the Super Bowl. In that case, they'd be favored by 10 or 11. It would be crazy. But that's not what's happening. They're a four-point favorite. That means that anything can happen. And so that's where I'm coming in with the best case and the worst case scenario for each side of the ball, special teams, and then the game itself. And it might all intertwine and the game might not be needed, but we'll we'll keep that in there just in case. So let's start with the offense. Best case for the offense would be that they get out fast. I think that really is the most important thing for this offense is just having the ability to get out quick when you're facing a team like the Buccaneers who have not dealt with this cold. And that if they're able to get out quick, it's going to be a lot for Tom Brady and company to come back. And they can sort of show their dominance early and sort of set the table. And I think that uh, that ability is there. Tampa has been a notorious slow starter offensively this season. Tampa has really been more of a second half team. It's been an issue for them all season. Now the Packers have been the inverse. They've been one of the best teams in the first half, especially in the second quarter. The second quarter has been where the Packers have lived this year. If they get out early, I trust this defense to hold the lead and I think that can happen. Also best case is just attacking these corners early. I think the aerial assault attack that we saw against Kansas City when Tampa faced them is exactly what the Packers should do. Deep bombs to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, deep posts to Alan Lazard, finding Devontae Adams down the seam. I think all that shit should be in the playbook early and often, and you just attack, attack, attack Tampa Bay and almost try to punch him in the mouth, almost try to land that big hook right away that Connor McGregor sort of punch like that's what I think the I guess what it kind of it was Connor McGregor known for his punching or his kicking I'm not an MMA guy I'll watch it I will watch any MMA but I won't pay for it or won't won't actually like seek it out it's kind of like marijuana for me like I'm not a weed smoker but if it's offered to me I'm not gonna like say no that's kind of how I feel about the about MMA my fiance just walked in. That was, that was fantastic. That was great timing. She like the look that I got there was incredible. Um, but that's another story for another time. Your boy might be in the doghouse. That's all right. Worst case scenario uh, for the Packers offense and for me. Uh, worst case scenario for the Packers offense would be turnovers. I mean, that that is the number one thing that the Packers have to avoid in this game. I, we didn't really talk about it when we were breaking down sort of the storylines and the things that were happening yesterday. But the storyline, the uh, the turnovers would be a real issue for for Green Bay because if they turn the ball over that is going to be a problem and that is how Tampa Bay will win this game because they they have thrived on turnovers remember Tampa had nearly two pick sixes against Aaron Rodgers which is very rare that is rarer than rare that is like rare diamond sort of shit like Aaron Rodgers getting picked off once is a surprise, getting picked off twice, and nearly having two being run back for touchdowns is stunning. And if that doesn't happen in that game against the Buccaneers, who knows 
what the final outcome was. I think Tampa was the better team that day. I don't think the Packers would have won, even if Rodgers would have not thrown those interceptions. But I do think this game is entirely different. Also, if Carlton Davis is able to be the Devontae Adams stopper. Now, I think that is one of the more overblown storylines, and I don't really see that happening. Remember, Devontae was coming off an injury, and I think Rodgers tried too hard to force things into him. I think it's going to be a lot different matchup. I think Adams knows, too, that Davis kind of locked him down the first time. Trust me, when Devontae knows that he he wants to eat against this guy, and they're going to make sure of it. But that would be a worst case if you can't get it going. Also, if you just cannot run the football at all. I don't think the Packers need to be that successful on the ground on Sunday because of what I've said about the area attack where I really think it needs to be it needs to happen through the air but you need to run the ball a little bit like you can't rely entirely on Aaron Rodgers arm you need to have a little bit from whether it's Aaron Jones whether it's Jamal Adams whether it's AJ Dillon if he plays with his quad injury that you need that sort of balanced attack it does I don't think it needs to be 50 50 in this game but it it definitely needs to still be like a 75 25 so those are like the three things but turnovers is is the ultimate favorite of how does this game go really bad for Green Bay? It is them turning the ball over. And it's not just Rodgers. It could be a Devontae Adams fumble. It could be an Aaron Jones loose ball. Um, it could be an Aaron Rodgers sack fumble. They're, they are turnover heavy. They want to turn the ball over. Green Bay is going to have to avoid mistakes. They've been one of the best teams in avoiding mistakes all season. So you hope that that continues. As for the defense, the best case scenario will be pressuring Tom Brady. Getting after Tom Brady early and often will lead to a lot of success for the Packers. And rushing up the middle and frustrating Tom and making Tom uncomfortable has always been the way to beat Tom Brady. Taking a page out of what the Tennessee Titans did last year, taking a page out of what some of the other teams have done against Brady this season. How can you fluster Brady? Also, too, can you force some turnovers on Tom Brady? If you force turnovers on Tom Brady, I think you're going to easily win this game. I don't even think it'll be close. And if you're able to sort of bait Tom Brady into making a pass that he shouldn't, that would be a way in. Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich did some bizarre shit in the in the first half of that Buccaneers Saints game. They ran the ball a lot. They did not use Tom Brady as much as they should. And they also had some deep throws on like third and one that made like no sense at all. So I don't know what kind of game plan these guys have, but I do think that some of this can play into the Packers. So what they want to do. I think the Packers defense has been one of the more underrated units across the board of the last four playoff teams. Of the last four playoff teams, the Packers defense is getting zero credit. They are, I mean, they held the Rams to under 20 points. They, I don't think they, have they allowed more than 20 points in over, it's wow, shit. It's been since that Chicago game. And even in that Chicago game, the first one, they allowed those points after they had, um, 
it was like garbage time. Like the Packers had blown out Chicago. I think it was like 41 to 14. And then the Bears got a couple scores late in that game and nearly actually covered. But I I don't think that's something that's getting enough pub. And I think Brady should be really scared of this, this defense. Because Mike Evans is going to be on Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander locking him up. And, and I think it'll be a real issue for Brady and company. Now, worst case scenario for this defense, playoff Lenny shows up. Leonard Leonard Fournette goes nuts, and he's able to kind of be this bruising back that has, in the past, given the Packers some trouble. Now, I'm not saying Leonard Fournette is Delvin Cook, but could Leonard Fournette be like an Adrian Peterson of old, where he just sort of bullies his way to first downs, and he's able to provide that balanced attack that puts some of the pressure off Tom Brady, potentially. Are they able to just pick on Kevin King and go to work and able to say, fuck Mike Evans, not worry about Mike Evans and say, all we're going to do is go Godwin and Antonio Brown the entire game and we're going to tear it up there versus Mike Evans. I would imagine Jair goes on Mike Evans. He shut down Mike Evans in the first game. There's no reason to believe that he can't shut him down again, despite the size advantage. And I do think that they should keep Jair on Mike Evans. Now, it would be interesting to see if they do go with Mike Evans on on Kevin King just because Mike Evans is a little more of a vertical threat and maybe with chasing Godwin and Brown all over the field, it would actually be more beneficial for Alexander. But I'm not Mike Patton. I am not here to decide that. But in a worst-case scenario, they'd be going after Kevin King. And also another worst case would be the middle of the field's wide open and they're able to just eat there, whether it's Gronk, whether it's Brown, whether it's Godwin, and they're just able to tear up the Packers dinking and dunking across the middle of the field. I think all of those are different ways that this thing gets ugly for the Packers defensively. As for the special teams, the best-case scenario is just do your job. It is just do your job, make sure that you can do everything you're supposed to do, do not become a storyline. And that's the worst case scenario, is if the special teams are one of the things we talk about on Monday, that the fucking special teams gave up a long punt return, or they mishandled an onside kick, and I, look, I've been scared to death of the onside te- on, or of the special teams, not of the onside. But onside scares you just for the bit. You get just branded Bostic vibes every time an onside kick is happening in a postseason. But I am like concerned that the special teams will become a story. I've had that fear for, gosh, eight weeks, nine weeks now that the special teams will fall apart and that it'll just be a complete shit show for the Packers. I hope to God I'm wrong. I pray that that is not going to be the case because if it is, it's going to be a really tough offseason. As for best case scenario for the game, I think it's the Packers win going away. I think it's being able to celebrate in the fourth quarter. I will say that Tom Brady is not dead until he is in the ground. Like Tom Brady's a guy where even if you're up 14 heading into the fourth quarter, you do not feel comfortable, especially because you'll think about 2014. You'll think about Brady and all the ability to come back. Tom Brady is never dead. That offense is never dead. It's going to need like to be the fourth fourth quarter, four or five minutes left, and the Packers have the football up by 10 or up by up by nine, and it looks like they're just going to finish this off. That's the type of thing we need 
Um, but I don't expect it. I think it's going to be back and forth. And then you go into the worst case and you ask yourself what you, as a fan, you always ask yourself this, like what would be worse getting blown out or losing a heartbreaking close game. And I'll be honest, like to get blown out in this game would be demoralizing. Um, it would, it would suck either way losing, right? But getting blown out would be demoralizing because, this is as good of a Packer team as they've had in years. Aaron Rodgers talked about it on Pat McAfee's show yesterday that this team's different because they're all clicking at the right time. And there was so much newness. And hearing him break down, you know, how these teams were coming together has been it was really fun and how the different championship teams were, you know, put together, assembled, and where they were at that point. And it seems like what I could interpret, Rodgers didn't say this, so I'm not putting words in his mouth, but this is the best team that he's had. And so if they get blown out in this game, it will be so depressing. Now, it's any given Sunday, it can happen, but that would be just demoralizing. Now, if they lose a close game, if it's a last-second touchdown by Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers comes up short, it will hurt. It will feel, it will be depressing. We'll, we'll all want to just drink our sorrows. I may have to pull out the old Arizona playbook. Um, I've, I'm sure I've told that story on this podcast. I will save it for Chuck's Corner if needed. Um, I will not tell that story and bring the bad juju. But we'll all drink our sor- sorrows that, that evening and wonder you know, what went wrong and what could have happened and what was missed. But I, I, I still think we'll say it was a really good season. And I still think we'll look back and say, yeah, Rodgers couldn't finish the deal. And there'll be a lot of legacy talk and we'll worry about that weeks later. But when you look at this season, it was so fucking fun. And it's really hard to win a Super Bowl. And I always say that. I still mean it. But it would be really tough to to do that Um on Sunday if the Packers can't finish it. Because I think we're, I don't think we're all expecting it, but I think we're all feeling good. And I, I know Mitch talked about it on the show yesterday, or uh, last week, where it's like how Packer fans go. At first, they're kind of scared. Then they're confident. And then they get kind of scared again, like, holy shit, this is happening. I, I don't think Packer fans have been as scared as they usually are. I think there is an overwhelming confidence. I don't think it's, not warranted. I think the Packers have done everything in their power to make you feel like they're the best team in football. And finally, as I was preaching three weeks ago, four weeks ago, Packer fans are finally starting to act like it. All right. The national media Murph report is here for those who are unfamiliar with it. It is a look at some of the national media topics and it is an homage of my guy Murph. He'll be on tabbing the keg tonight. Because he likes to look at things through a national media lens, not necessarily a Wisconsin sports lens. So let's start with Jared Porter. You obviously know the story. He sent 62 unsolicited text messages. He sent a picture of his dick. He is a complete and utter scumbag. It is incredible that this has waited for five years 
to come out. Now, I know some female reporters have spoken out that this is not uncommon, maybe not at the level of Porter, but there are scumbags in, in the baseball and in other sports industries all over the place. You know, the Dan Snyder story was just another example of this, where really the Redskins have not had a lot of ramifications from that. As for Porter and, and what needs to happen now for baseball. Now, Porter's obviously been fired. It didn't take, it didn't even get to 9 a.m. in New York. Steve Cohen fired his ass immediately. It was the right decision. It made the most sense. I don't need to go over that. But what needs to kind of happen is baseball needs to figure out how they are better with women in their industry. Because there seemingly is a problem in baseball that we saw in the NFL a couple of years ago with the Ray Rice and the Greg Hardy stuff. And Rob Manfred should be taking the task just like Roger Goodell was, that you have domestic abuse issues that pop up regularly in baseball, whether it was Roberto Ozuna, who was allowed to play, Diego German, Araldis Chapman. I mean, those are just a couple of the names, and there have been others. And so why is this such a problem for baseball? Why do baseball have this sort of scummy nature of what Porter did or that Astros executive? Uh, I forget that story, but that was one that was very anti-woman. Why does this keep happening in baseball? And I realize that baseball isn't the only one with this problem, right? Sexual harassment in, in sports, I think, is way more common than we probably know. But at the same time, right now, baseball has a chance to fix it. And baseball has a chance to sort of address it and not sort of go into the shadows. And I think they need to be better. And how how they're better, that's for baseball to decide. I am not an expert at all in this, in this field. But baseball needs to kind of start figuring this out. Because the more that this starts kind of growing and festering, and it already has festered. It's already kind of a wart on baseball right now. You're just going to keep losing female fans. Female fans are going to say, well, why do I want want to have a sport that doesn't respect me? And as a sport in baseball that's already kind of dying, the last thing you want is losing fans. Moving on to Eric Bieniemy. So Eric Bieniemy does not have a job yet. There is a lot of hand-wringing going on for Eric Bieniemy. I feel bad, but I also I also want to think about it a little bit differently. I feel bad for Biennemi because I think he's getting painted with an unfair brush. Not because he is black, but because he is under the Andy Reid tree. And now you could say, well, Sean McDermott is under the Andy Reid tree, and that's who the Chiefs will be facing on Sunday. Yes, true. But offensively, Matt Nagy... Yeah, he's got him to the playoffs, but there's been a lot of issues with Matt Nagy as as the Bears head coach. Doug Peterson, yes, got to a Super Bowl, but flamed out. And people don't necessarily look at the past. They're looking at the present. So right now, Andy Reid offensive assistants that became coaches, Nagy, 8-8, eight and eight, kind of mediocre year. Yes, they made the playoffs, but they were mediocre at best. Doug Peterson got fired. Did not really have that great of a season. Could not figure out the Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts stuff. And it just ultimately wrecked the team. So Biennemi is painted unfairly 
for those sort of things. And people are looking at Biennemi and saying, well, is he going to just be another Matt Nagy or Doug Peterson? I don't know if that's what we want right now. And there are others, and I've I've heard this, I think, from Matt Miller, who is lives in the Kansas City area, that people are concerned that the Chiefs are just sort of this cheat code and that you can't basically replicate the Chiefs. That it's easier to replicate a team like the New England Patriots where you can kind of build this culture and even though people fail, it's a lot easier on paper. Now, Houston may offer Biennemi a godfather offer to come coach there because they need to keep Deshaun Watson. And the only way to probably keep Deshaun Watson is to hire Eric Biennemi. And that would be great. And that would be well-deserved. Biennemi has, you know, done enough to earn a coaching spot. I I will say a couple things. Um, Number one, I do want to consider this. Maybe Biennemi just is not a good interviewer. That has been out there. And look, I know that you're that it's like this confirmation bias. I heard Lewis Riddick say that. Look, I've I've had bad interviews. I, I've interviewed a lot for jobs. Interviews are important and they matter. And sometimes people just can't do it. Sometimes people just really struggle in that environment. And if Biennemi is being out-interviewed by Arthur Smith, by Robert Salah, by um, Brandon Staley. Like, if those guys are out-interviewing him, then I, I don't know what to say. Like, I know that it's it's frustrating that the lack of diversity in head coaches. But there are steps that are being made in terms of the coordinator positions, in terms of the executives. I think the executive stuff, I mean, Brad Holmes, African-American coaching for, or going to be the GM of the Detroit Lions, very well respected. Terry Fontenot, GM of the Atlanta Falcons, very well respected, another African-American. So now I believe there are six black males who are as GMs or a GM figure, whether they're president or something like that. That is a good step forward. That is something worth being appreciative of. That, I mean, I know it's not perfect, but we're looking at 20% of the league having a black executive running their team. And that that's good. That's going to bring people in. And I understand that head coach is the premier position. But having coordinators like Byron Lefwich, like Leslie Frazier, like Biennemi, I think that's important too. And Raheem Morris is well sought after. He's one of the hottest names out there right now. The Jaguars want him, and I think someone else also wants Raheem Morris to be their defensive coordinator. Was it Seattle? I don't know. It will know. I don't forget who, oh, the Rams. That's right. It was the Rams. The Rams and the Jaguars both want Raheem Morris to be their defensive coordinator. That's good. These are good things. And I understand that head coach is the most important role. I, I totally get it. And I understand what it does for other coaches, other minority coaches. I do want to not lose sight that Robert Salah is a Muslim. So I do think that matters. I, I do think like... Yes, I understand that the emphasis is on African-American head coaches, but let's not lose sight that adding Salah as a head coach, 
adds more diversity, and it's not just another white male. So we'll see what happens with Houston. We'll see if they are they back up the Brinks truck and hire Biennemi as a way to save their relationship with Deshaun Watson. Because I think they might. And I think that might happen. And I hope it does. I, I, I really do. Lastly, on the report is Kyrie Irving. So Kyrie Irving said, basically, I needed a break. I needed to heal. I saw his Instagram and said, I'm a human just like you. I need to heal. Uh, look, I respect Kyrie Irving does, has done a lot in different communities. And he's kind of one of those people who is a crazy person, but he's also a charitable one. I think those exist a lot in society. Uh, that they are maybe a little bit nicer, shall we say, than what the media paints them. But here's the thing. You have a fucking job. Your job is to play basketball. I, I realize that that might not be your top priority. I don't think it is. I think in a lot of ways, Kyrie Irving wants to help communities. And I think Kyrie Irving is maybe more of a community organizer than he is an NBA player at this point. But you can't just say, I'm going to take a couple weeks off from my job, boss. That, that Literally, none of us are able to do that. I'm not able to go to my boss today and say, hey, I need to heal. So I need like two weeks off. You know what she would do? She would laugh in my fucking face. She'd be like, are you kidding me? You're not going to have a job. We'd be fired. No one would have that ability. So when I hear my guy Shafty call it privilege, he's absolutely fucking right. Kyrie Irving is as privileged of an athlete as we have in our society. And that is a ability of privilege is to be able to take two weeks off from your fucking job. None of us are allowed to do that. So I understand that Kyrie Irving needs the heal. I get the last two weeks were tough, right? But at the same time, you got to do it on the basketball court. And you got to play, you got to do your job. And I can't believe the Nets aren't going to probably dox his pay and they're just going to let him kind of get away with it. I know he's fined 50000 for breaking protocol, which is good. It's a good step forward. But the Nets, I don't believe, are, are finding him as well. So, And that just kind of continues the player empowerment. But that's another story for another time. Let's get to our newest segment, Ticket Story Time. So what Ticket Story Time is, is I have a bucket. It's a shoebox, actually. Shoebox of tickets that where I'll pull something out and I'll pull the ticket and I will tell the story about the game, the experience, whatever whatever I decide to choose. Some I will probably have to look up, I'll admit. There are some random ass brewery games in there. I will probably have to look up. I actually did not bring the box up for this. And you're like, Charlie, this is ruining the entire segment. Look, I get it. But it it's a it was a hassle to go down there, grab it, I got to find it. Our storage unit is a complete mess. I have to do some work down there to kind of create a beer inventory list. Um, that's a Chuck's Corner story for another time, which uh, about my beer inventory, because it is phenomenal, but it also is intimidating. But I got I think I'm going to do that tonight. So I will bring up the tickets tonight. So, But I will tell another story, and I thought, what better way to tell the story of the last time I was at Lambeau? Because it's a good story. So I went with my fiance now, Morgan. She was my girlfriend at the time. Um, this was wrapping up a stretch where we had went to, we didn't actually go to the game in Madison. We tailgated in Madison 
for the Badger Iowa game. Was it Badger Iowa? I think it was Badger Iowa. Anyways, we tailgated for that game. And then we went to Notre Dame Navy the following week. And then the week after, we went up to Green Bay to see the Packers play the Carolina Panthers. Now, Morgan has a rule that she doesn't want to deal with cold weather. Um, This was probably the last week where she would go. Um, She doesn't like being cold. And I get it. Um, She is much more of a cold-blooded human than I am, where I can deal with being in the cold of Lambeau Field. And my sort of philosophy is, you're not a true Packer fan unless you've been at a game in December in the freezing cold. That's just part of being a Packer fan. That's something you need to check check the box. Just like we said in college at our famous dive bar, The Pickle, you had to take a shit in there to graduate. Like That's just part of it. That's part of being an Eau Claire graduate. That's also part of being a Green Bay Packer fan is sitting out in the cold. So this is kind of the last week that she would she would do it. And it was cold. It was chilly. It was not warm at all. And the game was great. It was you know back and forth between the Packers and the Panthers. And in the fourth quarter, it began to snow. And it began to snow a lot. And the snow was just coming down. And I will not lie to you guys. It was the coolest experience in Lambeau Field. I've been in another couple different snow environments that I'll save for other times. But to actually have it be pouring snow and seeing the snow accumulate on the football field was awesome. Was just there. It's indescribable. It it was such a cool feeling. We had great seats. The game was close. It was going down to the wire. Now the Panthers had a drive to finish off the game. And I believe at some point in kind of the, whether there was a timeout or just a break in the game, Morgan had said to me, like, look, if this goes to overtime, we, we got to go. Now, internally, I didn't say anything. I think I said, yeah, okay, or I just kind of shrugged it off. But in ter- my head, I was like, I'm, I'm not leaving in overtime. Like, that, that's just not happening. Like, she could go hang out in the atrium. It's warm up there. Like, I'm, I'm staying here. We'll work on a buddy system. We'll figure this thing out. Because there is no way... I am leaving an overtime Packer game. That is just not happening. And I I was like, okay, can we please get a stop defense? I don't want to have this. I, and I don't even think it would be an argument. I just don't want to have this conversation. Like, I, I just want to avoid this altogether. And sure enough, they were able to stop him on the goal line. I was right by the goal line. It was an awesome moment in stadium. It amplified it. It was one of the closer Packer games I have been a part of. And they stop the Carolina Panthers. And we all go home. We all get to enjoy uh, driving home in the snow, which was absolute hell. It took me three hours just to get from Green Bay to De Pere uh, to have dinner with, with my buddy Pat and his wife. And it was wild, but it was worth it. And it was one of one of my favorites. And Morgan has now said, I think we're now at November 1st is like the last, the cutoff date of Lambeau Field games for her. So when we're able, hopefully, to go back next season, and we will, we've been fortunate enough to go to many, uh, we will probably uh, have November 1st as sort of the last line of uh, games we can go to. 
All right, hope you guys enjoyed Ticket Story Time. Uh, we'll do that often when we have some you know, breaks in the action. We kind of go for a lull in February, so I imagine we'll have a couple different segments of that. Take care of yourself. Have a great Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow with Tapping the Keg. Episode 400, Murph and Mitch in the building. We'll talk about Murph's experience at Lambeau. We'll talk all about Packers and Bucks. We'll, we'll, do, we'll, that podcast, you know, is just kind of, I wouldn't say all over the place because I don't want to say, but we kind of roll the ball out and we just talk. And it is great every time when we get Murph and Mitch together. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, we'll, we'll have a lot of fun tonight. All right. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.